Good morning. How's everybody? Good deal. Um, next week, Dale, we need more chairs out. I don't know if you're on setup next week. I just thought I'd mention it. Um, real quick, nothing to do with the, the message today. So when I went to visit one of our partnering churches uh, over the break, Julie and I went to this to this church, wonderful church, love the pastor. They've been given to us for the past three years and are continuing to kind of help us out and give towards Light Point Church. And went and visited, and it's an old Southern Baptist church with pews. And if you don't know what pews are, just give thanks to God that you're not sitting in a hard wooden one today. So, even as great as these chairs are, you're sitting in. So, anyway... I'm sitting there, we walk in, and I I kid you not, in a row of 20, maybe 15 pews, the first 10 are empty. If If I was Pastor Tim, I would remove those first 10 and just go preach right in front of them. So it was just, it was interesting. So, yes, these are open. They are spit zones, so you may get spit on. Um, Not purposely, just I get excited sometimes. Things come out. Hey, um, I want to pray with us today because today, today's, um, for me, is, is going to be tough. Um, so let's pray. Father God, I love you. I thank you for uh, your love for us. And Lord, in those dark places in our hearts that we have and that we're holding on and uh, these grudges that we have against you, Lord, I pray, Father, that you shine light on them. And in the midst of today, um, God, I pray, Father, we walk out of here free reconciled to a God that loves us, a God that uses so many things to shape and mold us into the people that you want, because you want your power shown, your glory shown to the world, and Father, in your ultimate wisdom, you have chosen your creation to do that. So Father, I pray you speak and guide us, and we ask all this in Christ's name, amen. So the story I'm about to share with you, I share with you not... Can we agree I'm sharing this story not to get empathy or sympathy from you? Like after I share this, I don't want you coming up and saying, oh, Chad, that, that's not, you know, whatever, right? Or even coming up and saying, well, yeah, Chad, that's true. You probably should listen to that thought in your head. Okay? So just I'm just going to be completely open and honest with you about something I deal with. And it doesn't matter what you say back to me. I still struggle with it. And so I'm sharing this just to be open and honest and not to get anything from you in return. Is that fair? Okay. Um, your pastor struggles with um, low self-esteem. I have a lot of insecurities in my life. When I was um, fifth grade, I put on a lot of weight. And, and it, was, it was quite a bit. <clears throat> and, and I couldn't figure out how to get rid of it. So we went on a diet, started playing football. And I started dropping weight. As you can tell, even today, I struggle with weight. Um, and just, I'm going to brag on myself, since September I've dropped 30 pounds. But that's beside the point. Um, so, in this piece, um, anytime I get up in front of people, I want you to know that I go through a struggle that I have asked God to take from me. I deal with, anytime I go into large crowds... I deal with a lot of pieces to where I shut down, and I don't want to go. 
Last night I was invited to a birthday party of a dear friend. I did not want to go, but because I love this guy, I went. And I was felt awkward the whole time. Didn't know how to, didn't know what to do. And, and it, it just, this eats at me day in and day out. When God called me into the ministry, I knew that this particular piece would be a great hurdle for me because I am not considered a huge extrovert. I'm not that outgoing. I prefer to be at home. I prefer to be around those close to me. My preference is not to be going around smiling and enjoying other people's company. I know that's hard to believe. God has done a work in my life and continues to do a work in my life that brings about something he wants, not something I want. My, my, the way I view myself is not good. I, I deal with this and I've dealt with this from, from uh, that, that fifth grade kid that let's just say was fat. There's no way of doing it. I was that kid, so that's what I was. And in this piece, as I struggle with that and even growing into going and to do everything that I did, I went so much, I dealt with low self-esteem so much that I would go and play football just to feel better about myself and ram myself into other people to just release something to, to, to kind of to make myself feel better. I went into the weight room and I started lifting, not because I wanted to go and lift, but because I had an older brother that I wanted to whoop one day. And so these particular paces and how I view myself and all these particular, someone says something about me and I'm, I, I, and, it, and, it, and it motivates me to go a little bit further. It motivates me to kind of take that next step. When I shared my story last week about a former boss that told me how horrible I was and how I could never amount to anything has, has shown me more about who I am. And every time I get up to preach, there's a voice in the back of my head. It says, you're not competent. You don't have what it takes. So just don't even try. And that voice is there. And every time I go to prepare a message, every time I go, anything I do, that voice is there. And in all of this, and it permeates into every area of my life. Anytime I walk into a new session, a counseling session, and there's a new couple there or even somebody or a new person there, I am praying that God gives me the strength to go and do it. I coach. I'm around people. It's not my forte, but I do it because I know there's a purpose behind it. The way I view myself, the way I see myself is not, is not good. And I'm telling you all that because that's, that's what I deal with day in and day out. And I ask God this piece, and we get into this today. I ask God this piece, God, why did you make me this way? And I'll be honest, I have a grudge against God. Why of all things did this, is this the piece that I wrestle with? And that grudge exists, and it's still there, and I deal with it. And there's certain ways that I deal with it that we'll get into today. But that's the piece that I deal with day and day out. Every day I start my work, or every week I start my work week, I struggle. And all these particular pieces, and, it, and it's some days are stronger than others, and other days not so bad. 
And so these are the things that, that I deal with. And, and if we're honest with ourselves, I can honestly say that, or you could probably look at me and say, yep, Chad, I can tell you what mine is. And there's something that has taken place in our life. There's something that exists in our life to where it's there and it won't leave and we can't figure out how to deal with it and we can't figure out how to get rid of it. And we go to God and we ask him over and again, over and again, take it from me. And he doesn't do it. And so we hold a grudge against God. And today's topic or today's message is called forgiving God. Now, let me be very clear. We don't need to forgive God for anything. He's our Father. He's the one that loves us. He's the one that created us. He is perfect. We do not need to forgive God. What we do need to do is we need to learn to let go of grudges that we have against God. We need to be reconciled to a God that loves us. And see, your, your issue today may be there may have been a dream in your life that something was going to happen, a desire that God put in your life that he would, that, that you thought was going to come to fruition and that was going to happen, and that dream never did take place. That desire was never met. That desire was never filled. And so what happens is, is we start holding a grudge against God, saying, wait a minute, God, your, Bible, your, your word says that you'll give us the desires of our heart. Here's the desire that you put there. Why haven't you given it to me? And that may be yours. You may have lost somebody very dear to you, and you're so angry at God because how dare God take him from you or her from you. And so we hold on to this grudge against God, and, and, we, and we, hold, we just go, and how dare you do this? And, and we get upset, and how dare you not give me the desires of my heart? And how dare you not show up? And, and better yet, why do you do it for this person over here, but you won't do it for me? Why won't you change this situation in my life when I look over here and I see all this going on for these people over here? Don't you know that I'm a pastor of a church? Don't you know that I love you deeply and I love people deeply? Why won't you take this from me? Or better yet, I serve. And, I, and, I, and even in all this, there's a piece of it that says, you know what? I serve in the nursery at church and I deal with little kids that drive me nuts. God, why won't you bring out something better in my life? And so we come up with all these pieces, right? We, we come up every I show up at 8 o'clock in the morning to help set up. Why won't you fix this in my life? And we start looking at all we do. All we do. And we say, God, why don't you fix this? You do it for them. So we start playing the comparison game. And there's some, there's, here's how I want to open us up today. I want to go to a book in the Bible, and it's called, let's start in Isaiah. And I want us to read something to open us up to kind of get our mindset in the right place. So how do I, how do, um, the question is this, how do grudges with God start? And here's where they start. Isaiah 64, 8 reads this. Isaiah 64, 8. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all work of your hand. Grudges start when we start thinking we're the potter. And we can form our own selves into who we want to be. 
when we start taking ourselves as the creation and saying we know better than the creator. Our God, the creator, the potter, the one that is molding us, the one that is forming us, the one that, that brought us into existence. And there's a piece of it where we come into existence and we say, you know what? God, I know better than you. You need to change the way you're molding me. And here's how you do it. In what world do you ever see the clay on a wheel with the potter there and the clay speaks out and says, now you're going to form me into a beautiful base. I want to hold flowers that are beautiful. Or better yet, you know what? I want to be a pot that you cook in. It doesn't happen. And as much as we want things in our lives and as much as we want things to work out a certain way in our lives and come to fruition the way we have it planned out and the way we've mapped it out and the way we think it should come into being, there's a piece of it that we have to simply realize where we stand with God. And here's where we stand. He is our creator and we are his creation. And when I can wrap my head around that, then I, I start to release all the control that I want over my life. And I say, you know what, God, I start to trust you. And every insecurity I have, God, I give it to you. And I say, use it. And in this piece, we see another one in Romans, 8, in Romans 9, 20 to 23. It reads this, and Paul's writing here, and he says this, But you, but who are you? Oh, man, to answer back to God, will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make no, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory i want us to understand this that no matter what god molds us into it's for two things to reveal his power to the world and to bring about his glory and we can look at everything going on in our lives and everything that has taken place in our lives and we can come and rest on this very simple fact. And as we were talking about this in the prayer room, there's a piece of this that when we try to use human logic to understand an infinite God, we're going to miss out. We cannot use our logic to understand how God works. There's a piece that goes above and beyond and I can give you story after story after story of the past three years how my logic didn't match up with how God works. And yet every single time God shows up in His way and the way He wants. And so in this piece, I simply want you to say this, God, I trust you. And I may not like this, and I may not want to deal with it all the time, but I trust you. I trust you. There's a story of, as we, with Romans, as we think about Paul, 
There's a lot of interesting things about Paul that some of us don't don't really know. Or maybe we do know. Here's here, here's who Paul was. Paul was considered a religious elite, and one of his jobs of going around when he was still tied to the Jewish Jewish faith, and that's what he did before he went before he met Jesus, before his life was transformed. He was known to persecute Christians. He wanted to stop the the movement of Jesus being shared with around the world. That was his number one goal. So he went out and he and he persecuted them. He was known to be sitting one of the one of the well known ones is Stephen. He sat right there and watched Stephen get stoned to death. He even got permission to go and kill other Christians that were spreading the news. And he did it because he, he and, and, and let's be honest, let's understand this. Paul loved God. He just didn't grasp the fact that God sent his son Jesus, and he didn't like the fact that he couldn't put his faith in what he did. He had to put his faith in what Jesus did. And I think some of us, we, we struggle with that, right? How do I put my faith in, 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 a, in a Savior, the one that God sent, a son, versus, you know what, I can trust myself to keep doing the right thing and be a good person, yet God's economy doesn't work that way. And so Paul was on the road and he had an encounter and God transformed his life. And since God transformed his life, here's a man who devoted himself to ending a movement and God got a hold of and transformed his life. And when God transformed his life, here's what took place. Paul was beaten multiple times to 39 lashes. And you know why he didn't hit 40? Is because they said once you hit 40, you died. Multiple times he was beaten. Multiple times he was stoned. He was hungry. He was bitten. He was on a shipwreck. All these different things that took place in Paul's life, all for the glory of God, to spread the message of Jesus. And out of anybody in Scripture, we could look at and say, you know what? If he had a complaint about what was going on, you could say, Paul could look at God and say, why did I just get bit by this snake? And here's what I'm doing for you. Or, why are you allowing me to get beat multiple times when I'm trying to spread your message? Why are you allowing me to be stoned? When here's what I'm doing for you. Why are you keeping the desires of my heart from coming to be when I do all this for you, God? Why won't you take this thing from me that I deal with day and day out? Because this is what I do for you. And Paul had every right to do it. He did. But here's what we see. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And we'll read 7, starting 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting 7. It's a very common verse, a uh, passage. But let's dive into it today. Second Corinthians 12, 7 through 10 reads this. So to keep me from becoming conceited, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am And here we see Paul struggling. We see Paul struggling with something that's going on in his life. And so what do we do? Grudges start when I think I know better than God. Let's just be honest. That's when grudges start. When I think I've been wronged. When I haven't gotten my fair deal and I know better than God, the one who created me, and so I'm just going to hold a grudge against him because obviously he doesn't know what he's doing. And so I do, so I'm just going to hold a grudge. So what do I do when I'm holding a grudge against God? And here's where I start. I don't ignore it. I don't ignore it. I don't blow it off. I acknowledge it. I come face to face with it and I say, here's what I'm holding on to. Why do I do that? I want to shine light on it. What I keep in the darkness and hidden, Satan uses for shame. What I keep hidden and what I hold on to and keep from anybody from seeing or what I'm dealing with, it comes back and it it haunts me. And it's used to manipulate me from the evil one. So what do I do? I acknowledge the grudge. I have one. Here's what I deal with. Here's what I struggle with. Here's what I don't understand. And so I acknowledge it. You know what happens? Here's what we need to do. Is we don't just do it once. I talked about this with forgiveness for the past couple of weeks. We don't just forgive an offense once. We do it how many times? So we keep count. No. We always do it. It's repeated. We don't keep count. We, 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 we forgive. Not because I want to. Not because I feel like it. Because God asked me to. He commanded me to. And I do it because He told me to. And again, in God's economy, I don't do things because I feel like it. Or because I, I want to do it that day. I do it because He's called me to it. And His economy, obedience means more than anything. And so in this piece, I come back and I repeatedly, as much as it takes, I acknowledge the grudge that I have. As much as it takes. So we learn from Paul as we acknowledge this, that here's what we learn from Paul in this particular piece. That every grudge I hold on to, every grudge that exists in my life, is there for a purpose. He has it there for a purpose. Paul brings it up. Paul, Paul, Paul was given more knowledge about what's to come and more stuff. I mean, he wrote a lot of the New Testament. Like, Paul was no schmuck. He was given a lot to share with us, to spread the message of Jesus. There was a lot of things, and he could have been very puffed up, and he could go around and just tell everybody how awesome he was. And tell everyone how they needed to listen to him and just... Just do what he tells them to do and their life would be changed. And so here's what we learn about Paul is there's this piece that goes on. He has this particular thing. He comes to a point in his life and seven reads this. So to keep me from becoming conceited. Show of hands. Anybody in here like arrogant people? 
Anybody like Eric? So we're all good, right? All right. And even if you did this, that's okay. Does any time you run across an arrogant person, do you do you get a little put off? I do. I can't stand it. Drives me nuts. I had it happen this week at a parent meeting for lacrosse. A dad came up to me and he, and he puffed up his chest and he wanted to tell me how we were going to coach his kids. And what he failed to realize is I'm a mental health counselor and my job's reading people. And so the minute the minute he puffed his chest, I, I puffed mine. And I smiled at him. You know what ticks people off more is when you smile at them when they're trying to get a point across. It's great. So I smiled at him. I listened to him. And in the back of my head, I was like, this isn't going to work out. Can't stand it. I can love him. He can coach his kids. Can't stand it. Don't want anything to do with them. They, they, they put off something. Arrogance, pride, there's something about that that God wants nothing to do with. And so Paul had, had every reason to be prideful. He had every reason to be arrogant. Look at all God did in his life. What he has him doing. And yet there was something given to him to keep him from being what? Conceited. And he goes on, he says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, again, Paul was entrusted with a lot of revelations, a lot of things that were to come, and he was given this privilege of knowing this. And he had even more reasons to be puffed up. And so it says this, that thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Now I want to talk to you about this word thorn. Now we're not talking about a little thorn from a rose bush. When you unpack this in the Greek, this word thorn means a stake. A stake, a spear that's sharp at the end, that can penetrate, that can cause damage, that can cause hurt. We're not talking about just this little piece that we can kind of go away. No, this, when we unpack this particular word, this thorn, this was a huge stake that was used to be there in Paul's side. And who does it say it came from? Satan. So there's a lot of there's a lot of speculation about what Paul's thorn was in his side. Some people say that it was his eyesight, right? Because there are a lot of theologists theologians believe that he had poor eyesight, and he wrote in the one passage in scripture he talked about writing in large letters. Could very well be. There could have been something else, and I wondered this. Even he, you know, he even said this, I, I, I don't speak with eloquence. Like, I don't have this great way of speaking. Could have been his self-esteem. I wonder if his thorn in his side wasn't the shame of looking back at all the people he's killed. I wonder if Satan doesn't remind him of his past. And every time he goes and he serves God, Satan doesn't say, but do you not remember you helped kill this guy? Do you not remember that this is your past, Paul? And this is your past, Paul. 
Do you not remember this? And Satan has a message for him that says you need to live in shame. And so one of the pieces that maybe Paul had to do, and this is purely speculation, and I'm only speculating because this is what I'm reminded of, of my past. And so in this piece, it's it's constantly there. It's constantly there to remind him of how he needs something more than what he can give. And it's there. And he goes on and it says this. So one of the things I, it comes to is Paul realizes that the thorn that was in his side was there for a purpose. Maybe the grudge that we hold on to or the thing that we hold a grudge to between us and God is there for a reason. To keep us from being something we shouldn't be. To portraying something we shouldn't. To mold us into something he wants us to be. It goes the second piece in this is we acknowledge he has a purpose. And this, the next thing is we acknowledge he desires intimacy with us. Intimacy. I want you to write this on your, if you have your notes and you're writing today, I just want you to write intimacy at the top and underneath or in there. And then you can write underneath intimacy. I want you to write into me see. So I-N-T-O me see. God wants to see into the deep parts of us. True intimacy is when someone can see into who I am. They're so close to me that they see the good, the bad, and the ugly. See, God's desire for us, this desire is true intimacy. Our sin keeps us separated from Him. Our our grudges keep us separated from Him. And his biggest thing is for us to be close to him. And so he desires intimacy. 2 Corinthians 12, 8 reads this. And here's what I want you to see in, in Paul's response. 2 Corinthians 12, 8 says this. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Now let's be very clear that when he, this scripture says three times I pleaded, we're not talking about these little short prayers that we do. God, take this ailment from me. And so, amen. In Jesus' name, amen. We walk away. This word pleaded, when we unpack it in the Greek and we get down to what it really means, it's an extended period of time where we're doing fasting and praying and seeking God and we're going after his heart and we're there in time. So three extended periods of time, he went and he drew close to the Father. Not quick prayers of take it. Not quick, hey, this is my prayer request. We're talking three concentrated periods of time. I like to use the word seasons that Paul went and begged God to take it from him. God, take away my insecurity. And over and over again, I pray it. Help me not to feel awkward walking into new places. And begging him to take it. God, help my past not tear me down. Help the shame that I sometimes carry around that Satan points to over and over again. And I'm not getting away. And yet in this particular piece, we see that he pleaded with the Lord about this 
three times. When this pleading piece happens, here's what I want you to understand. That as he went to him, God got to be intimate with Paul. He got to be close to Paul. The creator got to be close with your creation. And that's what he wants. We go on and we see in this next period, we acknowledge he has a purpose. We acknowledge his his desire for intimacy. The third is this. We acknowledge he's enough for us. Can you say that? If he were to take, if everything in our lives were to go away, if everything, our biggest fears were to happen, and I struggled with this this week, I've been more excited about Light Point Church. I mean, I'm, I'm always, but like in this, like last year, and seeing how God's moved in people's lives and seeing how things, like my excitement for what our church is doing and what God's doing in our church is I love coming here. I love being the pastor here. And one of the things that's so interesting to me is God says, would you still, would I be enough if I took it all away, Chad? Would you still be excited about my relationship with you if it all went away? I love being a dad. I love being a husband. Would I still love God if all of it went away? See, there's this grudge piece to where we start, we start attributing God's love for us by the things that He does for us. We start attributing whether He cares about us based on how well things are going in our world. We start, we start saying, well, he, must, he blessed me. He blessed me. He must love me. I must be doing something right. And we start, we start associating all the good things with His favor for us. And here's the thing I want us to understand, that as we hold on to grudges to God, his number one question back to us is this. Will you simply acknowledge that I'm enough for you? That if all else were to go away, will I still be enough for you? And we see this in the passage 12, 9. But he said to me, And this is his response after three seasons of pleading, of begging, of begging him to show up, of begging him to change the situation, of begging him to set him free. Three seasons of extended period of time of all out, what you name it, Paul probably did it, fasting, prayer, just going to him. And all these pieces, we see this piece come back, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. If we were to hear that, what would we respond? Would we say, that's not good enough? You don't understand the desire that is my heart to have that. I don't, I don't, what, what, what you're responding to me with right now, God, it isn't good enough. And yet, in this particular piece, his response was this to Paul. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. His power is made, another word, is complete. Brings to completion. 
And so in our weaknesses, in our weaknesses, His power is made perfect. We get to see it. We get to experience it. See, this particular piece as we look at my grace. Now, here's something about God's grace. Do you know that it's very hard to truly understand God's grace? It's hard to understand God's grace. It's not something that someone can explain to me. It's not something that I can observe and someone say, I I get that. God's grace is something I have to experience personally. And so let's understand what God's grace is. When we unpack this particular thing, here's what God's grace is. It's a gift. But God's grace is God freely extending himself. Leaning and reaching to us because he is disposed to bless and be near to us. God's grace is his desire to be near us. His desire to be close to us. His desire to be there in in the very moments of our darkness, in the very moments of our pain. That is God's grace of him freely extending him with no extending himself. Leaning and reaching towards us. And that's not something you can explain to somebody. That's something you have to experience. And it's in these moments that we can learn that God is enough for us. Lastly, the theme that we have kind of gone on with this whole time as we looked at the past few weeks of the, the first week we talked about getting over it, the little offenses, making the claim, I'm over it. Last week, we talked about the hard thing of of forgiving people that have truly wounded us in our lives. And what would we say? That your calling is too great and you're too valuable to hold on to grudges. Your calling is too great and you are too valuable to hold on to grudges against other people. Guess what? Your calling is too great to hold on to a grudge against the God that loves you and is molding you into who he wants you to be. And as you allow that to come to be, as you allow that peace to happen, you see that something takes place in 2 Corinthians 12, 10. I need to come to this realization that my calling, that God has a calling on my life. And it reads this, for the sake of Christ. Notice he didn't say for the sake of Paul. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with what? Insults. What else? Keep going. For when I am weak, he has a calling on your life. The calling on his life is for you to truly trust in him. To say, you know what, the grudge that I carry against you, God, is not worth it anymore. I want your power flowing through me. I want what you have to flow through me so that my life can be transformed, so that I'm molded into who you want me to be. And so no matter what it is, no matter the desire, no matter the shame, no matter the hurt, no matter the insecurity, all of it, God, it doesn't matter. Because when I'm dealing with all these things, here's my prayer, is that as I walk out and I simply trust you in all of it, I know that your power flows through me and it's not on my strength. It's on your strength that I live. 
And when we come to that point, when we come to that point of just acknowledging that he has a calling in my life that is too great. He has a calling in my life that wants to accomplish something far more than I could ever imagine and ever do on my own because I am trusting him more than I trust myself. We see that Paul gets to this point where he does what? He sits in his weaknesses and says, here's what I'm dealing with. Watch how Jesus' power flows out. It's amazing to me when we release this in our lives. And so here's what we can do in response to this. Keep acknowledging that God has a calling on your life. Keep acknowledging every time it's brought up, every time that insecurity, every time I stand here and I'm like, God, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can deal with this. I don't know if I got what it takes. Every time you come back to this piece, it says there's a purpose for it. You want to know a small purpose? And I know I'm running late. You know what I know a small purpose? I'm sitting with my boy before a swim meet yesterday morning at 630, and we're driving up to Dayton. And he goes, Daddy, I'm nervous. I said, you want something to eat? He goes, Daddy, I'm nervous. I can't eat. I said, you know what? Daddy gets nervous every time he preaches. Daddy gets nervous every time he gets in front of people. Daddy gets nervous every time he walks into a crowd. But you know what happens when Daddy does that? He walks through it. He trusts in the Lord and he brings him through. Chad's demeanor changed. Everything we go through is for a purpose. We may not like it, we may not understand it, but it's to bring about His power and to bring about His glory. And so maybe the grudge I hold on to, I need to simply acknowledge that He's working, to acknowledge that He has a reason for it, to acknowledge He has a purpose for it, and acknowledge He has a calling on my life, and I need to simply just trust Him because He is my Creator and I am His creation. So what grudge are you holding on to? What do you need to release? You can do it today and walk out of here free. And when Satan brings it back up in an hour, you can say, ah, no, no, no. God wants to be near me. And His grace is sufficient. And I'm not letting you get to me today. And we can walk out of there free. And not let these things that we hold a grudge against God to trap us. But we allow those things to see His power come through us by how we respond to what He's called us to. Let's pray. Father, I love You and I thank You for today. I thank You for Your goodness and, and I thank You, Father, for how much You love us. Lord, in all these things, I pray that You would work. Lord, I know in this room there's a lot of things that, Lord, we hold on to and there's a lot of things that are going on to that we have a grudge against. But, Father, here's my prayer. My prayer, Father, is that I would learn to trust you more and more and trust myself less. Lord, that I would realize that in my weaknesses, Lord, that's when your power comes out. Lord, that in my nervousness and my insecurities, Lord, that's when you work. And so, Father, in all of this, Lord, whatever we're dealing, whether it's a health issue, whether it's a a shame issue, whether it's um, whatever it is, Father, that we hold on to, 
Lord, I pray, Father, today we acknowledge that you have a purpose for bringing that about, for allowing it to happen. And Lord, because of that, we would trust you and we would allow that to mold us and we would allow that to shape us. And Lord, as Jason talked about dry bones today come to life, Father, I pray that our own dry bones of how we feel and how we have allowed this grudge to keep us from you, we would allow you to speak life into it. And in this particular piece, Lord, I pray, Father, that we would release that and we would trust you. And we would walk out of here free. And we would do it over and over and over again. As many times as it takes simply to recognize that you are enough for me. Thank you for loving us. Move in our lives and set us free, God. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. A couple ways to respond. One way I want to respond is this. Um, the prayer team will be over here. And so if you're dealing with a grudge, you just hate that go up. Go get prayed over. I'll be up here. If you want me to pray with you, I'm happy to do that. And as the, the team sings up here, as they sing this last song, my prayer is that you'd simply release. That you would release that grudge you have against me. Say, I just trust you. And every time doubt comes, say, I trust you. And every time say, I trust you. And when we start doing this over and over again, do you know what happens? We actually start believing it. So let's do that. The last thing is just stay in the same. Our offering bin's in the back, and you can go give an offering and go back a little portion of what God's given to you. Maybe taking communion, something you need to do is remember the blood that was shed for you to give forgiveness. And the body that was broken so that we can have a relationship with our Father. Be reconciled to Him. You respond.